Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob. So I got asked a question about how I grew um, my following and community and my company, Progressive Property, in the early years. And how long did it take to click into place? You know, before you feel like the seed that you've planted is growing the the fruits. Uh, And um, this person asked for a voice memo. I thought it's going to take ages. I'm going to do a live on it. This person also asks for a shout out. So I might shout her out at the end as well. So things are different now to when Granddad Rob started um, in 2005 stroke six. Um, In the early years, I'll take you through a little bit of a journey, if you like, from the early years through to the later years. So in the early years, there wasn't really VA so much. There wasn't uh, really social media so much, certainly not like there is now. So what we did was we went to a lot of networking events. Mark and I bought pretty much give or take 20 properties in our first year. Our first company was Progressive Property. Um, so we only actually wanted to buy properties for ourselves. We had no um, idea it would become the, the UK's biggest property training company, which was a nice spin off. So we just went up and down estate agents row all day, every day, you know, hustling away, viewing hundreds of properties. We weren't that elegant. Um, You know, if you view hundreds of properties and buy 20, then you're clearly not very good on your numbers. But hey, you know, we got some deals, probably more through um, just relentlessness and attrition rather than actually being, uh, you know, very skilled at it. Um, But one thing that we twigged really early was that going to business networking events locally in Peterborough, go into property events uh, where we could find them in Peterborough. There weren't many, um, although Mark and I met at one. Um, and then we're going further afield to London, um, you know, maybe even sort of up north to go to property and business networking events. That really helped us build our brand and, and get known. And because it was Mark and I, we were both young. We used to wear our stripy shirts and our tight fitting suits. And so we had a little bit of, um, I guess we were memorable. Not everyone liked us, us you know, OK, but we were, we were memorable. Um, and like I said, this was, I don't even, I mean, if Facebook had started, it was virtually nothing. I think YouTube had just started um, w- when we got rolling. But we found a lot of success at business networking events because um, not everybody um, at a, a business networking event is in property. In fact, only one or two each time were. So we had a bit of uniqueness. Whereas when you go to property events, you know, kind of everyone's in, in um, property, so to speak. So that gave us a little bit of a head start. And we used to try and collect as many business cards as possible and put them in ACT, which was our like customer relationship management software back then. And we'd always follow up with people. That's important. Always following up with people, um, which is something that a lot of people don't do. We're always trying to sort of, you know, like get meetings, close business, raise finance, etc. Um, and then sort of I would say a few months into that journey, I had this sort of switch that flicked. And that was, we're going around the country doing all of these networking events. And it was great because Mark and I were in the car going together, you know, really getting to know each other, having really good chats there and back. But I figured, you know, if you're in a room for a 50 people, you're one of 50. But the person who has the most leverage is the speaker. 
because they, you know, you're one of 50, whereas the speaker is one to 50, one to many, not one to one. So I said to Mark, we've got to get into this speaking um, business. I've got to get up on that stage because he wasn't maybe as um, up for that as me. So I, um, got my, I went on a speaker course, I got myself educated in public speaking. I was terrible at it at first. I was really nervous, petrified, but I did it because I thought that it would be good for our business and I just thought it would be good leverage. And I've done, what, 1,100 speeches now. Um, I've got one coming up for 1,200 people, spoken in front of hundreds of thousands of people, made millions and millions of pounds. Say that humbly, you know, because obviously there are people in the world that have done more. Um, but hey, it's been great for me and my business and my brand on that, on that one-to-many leverage. So we probably started doing that before the end of our first year. And so then when you're on the stage, you have extra credibility, you get known, everyone comes to you to give their business cards. Um, and then what you find is people start giving you feedback that they like this part of the talk, that part of the talk, this talk, this part of the talk. And so people started saying things like, hey, Rob, you should write a book. Because um, I think that they found that when I was telling my property journey, I was quite out there, gregarious, quite prepared to have a laugh, quite prepared to take the mickey out of myself. I was quite a different flavour because everyone was a bit serious and grey and boring back then. Um, so, you know, people give me a bit of feedback. Oh, Rob, you should write a book. You guys should run courses. We never ran courses. We were just buying for ourselves, telling our story because we wanted to meet JV partners, financiers, you know, like brokers, solicitors. We didn't really sort of think beyond that. And so then when people, enough people have said, Rob, you should write a book. It doesn't take me that long. I'm a bit slow sometimes. But once enough people have said, hey, Rob, you should write a book. Hey, Rob, you should do a course. Um, I'm like, all right, I get it. And once I get it, I'm in. So a sort of in simultaneous moments, I wrote a book called Property Investing Secrets. Now, of course, back then in 2007, stroke eight, this was, Mark was, you know, I had a half decent knowledge of property, but I was still only a couple of years in. So I was still a bit green. But Mark had a lot more experience than me. He had more properties than me because the 20 we bought together, he also had ones that he bought with his dad and for himself. So, um, you know, I sat Mark down and interviewed him and interviewed him and interviewed him and interviewed him. And it was pretty hard getting all the content out of Mark. Said, oh, man, don't want to write this book. Oh, Mark hates writing books. Um, he just finds it sort of, he, all his knowledge is locked in there. He doesn't really know what he knows. It's just locked in. And I drew all of that out and added my flavour. And at the same time, we launched our very first property meetup. So we had 50 people in a really nice hotel in London. Um, no, it may, it, actually, it was nearly nearly 70 people, but we worked hard to fill that event. Now you can just go and, do, go and do a few posts on social media. You know, you can set up an event on social media and go and post in a couple of groups. And on your first launch of your event, you can get 50, 100 people if you've, you've not got that many followers or friends. You know, but Mark and I worked hard for a year, you know, burning all the shoe leather and the tyre rubber um, to build this first event for sort of between 50 and 70 people, something like that. So simultaneously, those happened where I wrote a book and we launched an event. So the book where we launched it, it sold uh, pretty well. Um, a couple of partners promoted it for us and, and sold a lot for us. Chris Howard, I remember um, his company sent an email out for us and sold may, maybe even thousands. It was certainly high hundreds, maybe even thousands of books for us. And I th think something that we did, which was pretty innovative in the market at the time, it's still innovative now and no one does it, uh, but we still do it, is when we launched the book, we gave a free ticket to this event um, that we'd run. Um, so like there was kind of like a double whammy there because we were selling books and then people were coming to the events. So then this first event we did in London, I remember it because um, like it was really narrow and long and it was a nice venue, but like the room was the wrong sh shape. Um, and so we'd, Mark and I'd be at the front just chatting away, interrupting each other, just ch chucking information at everyone, overwhelming them. And then when it was break time, I had to run to the back and get to the back before them to go and sort of help make the teas and coffees and everything else. And um, 
this is sort of a little bit of a secret. And obviously now I'm doing it and recording it as a podcast. This is going to go, kind of go out to a lot of people. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning about this the secret is you have to do this ethically. Uh, I'm sure you would, um, but just, you know, a little bit of a heads up. So at the end of that course, um, I sold a two-day property investing masterclass. Um, now, um, people were really enjoying our content and our flavor and our uniqueness. And we were starting to get a bit of a reputation. And I knew with what was in our book and what was in Mark's head, and maybe my ability to just make it a little bit spicy and interesting and dynamic, we had the recipes for an, a, a knockout uh, property investing masterclass. So I sold it at this event and it was two grand and like half the room bought. And I remember because when I, I pitched it, because I'd never really done a proper pitch before and I'd never certainly seen what people call a table rush and everyone running to the back of a room. I'd never seen that, uh, you know, like that, that was all new to me. And I did this sale because I, I didn't expect any of that. We didn't have credit card machines. We just had a few bits of paper and people started going to like try and buy it. And I was like, oh, so I had to run to the back to run with them to the back, get to the back to them first and then I could take their money. Um, and we sold, I think, 25 at two grand. That's 50 grand. You know, and like this, this is the first sort of space, you know, proper sort of our own progressive event that we'd ever done. And Mark at the end, he was getting his calculator out whenever I'd gone. And we were like, we stayed there right till the end, networking till nine or 10 at night. We went over to Yo Sushi. I think it was in Waterloo Station. There's a hotel just over the other side. We had a Yo Sushi afterwards. We had all these sort of, um, you know, sales forms for the sale we'd done. We were buzzing. We couldn't believe it. Um, you know, because like to make 50 grand in, in instant cash in properties takes a long time. And bang, we'd done this when we launched our first course. Now, you know, this was after five minutes. We, you know, there's some people out there that teach and they haven't really done. We were doing it. We were probably, uh, you know, Mark had been doing it for five years. I'd been doing it for two. We had, a, you know, 20 properties in our first year, 30 in our second. So we were 50 in total. So, you know, we, we were doing it. Um, and Mark was like, wow, Rob, this is amazing. How did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, right, what's this course? And I said, well, I don't know. We haven't written it yet. And he was what? But I knew that was the only way to pin that bastard down, to get that course out of him, which he'd been saying for ages that he wanted to do. So anyway, I locked him away. Um, we got a brilliant two-day course out of him. We ran it in Wokefield Park at this beautiful sort of manor house. Um, and yeah, I mean, some many of the people out there in the property world that are trainers, educators, um, or, you know, property millionaires, or even net worth millionaires now, many of them came to our earlier courses. I mean, there's um, Trevor Cutmore, Jill Alton, who have both been very successful, came to our very first one. Francis Dolly, who's very successful in Rent to Rent, came to our second one. Um, so the course worked. So we were like, we were rolling now. We were cooking on gas. We were buying our own properties. We'd got a book out there. We were getting well known. You know, we'd done some events. I was starting to speak so I could, you know, didn't have to know any more journey around the country and sort of sit in the audience. I didn't mind that, but it's just not a great leverage of time. And then, of course, um, Google got really big on Google AdWords. So I started running Google AdWords campaigns in sort of 2006, 2007, 2008. And we built a large database, reinvesting our profits back into um, running Google AdWords campaigns and, um, you know, giving people really good value reports and deal analyzers in exchange for their email, writing online courses for them that we were giving them for free. Uh, and we went from probably 800 contacts. Now we're at 520,000. Um, and that's not including social media. So Google AdWords came next. Um, uh, and, and I kind of hacked that myself because we couldn't really, didn't really think we could afford staff, although we probably could have. One thing we were clear to do is not draw too much money from the company. Um, and another thing we were clear to do is if we had retained earnings in the company, because we, we mostly did because we didn't draw from it too much, we'd invest that back in. So I was paying £2 for an opt-in back then. I mean, you can't do that anymore. Um, you know, paying like one or two pence a click 
Uh, and so that then really sort of grew and took off. Then, of course, YouTube came in. And um, I remember being on a course in 2006 and this guy said YouTube and I'd never heard of it. And so I was a couple of years later. I should have got in quicker. I'm always a couple of years late, podcast, Instagram, YouTube, etc. But if I get in late, I still get in. So then um, YouTube got big. So I started doing a lot of videos on YouTube for progressive property. I mean, my YouTube was huge back then for progressive property. We were getting thousands of views um, just, you know, just on a video way back then, way more than we do now, actually, because I've, I've taken my eye off the ball a bit on that. Um, and so we were able to promote more events um, and really get a good following on progressive property on YouTube. Um, at some point in this journey, we would have set up Facebook, but I, I don't think sort of Facebook got really good from until maybe 2012, 13, something like that in terms of our growth. But the next thing was a lot of people where, you know, they, they were reading our books, they were knowing our story and they're like, look, I've learned some property and that's great, but I haven't really got a lot of time. Will you just buy deals for me? Uh, and again, Mark and I had not really occurred to us to buy deals for other people. We, we just thought, well, we'll buy deals for ourselves. That was how, what we always wanted to do when we were in property. Um, but when enough people start saying, hey, look, will you buy deals for me? Will you buy deals for me? So Mark and I thought, well, there seems to be the demand there. It's extra cash flow. We're, if we're viewing 10, 15 houses to buy one property, then there's nine to 14 houses where we're not monetizing them. Lest, um, I did, we didn't even know it was called deal packaging back then. So we started selling deals onto other people. Now, initially, we'd have to buy them with a deposit and then flip it. You know, and you needed the deposit and that might take nine months to a year to get your money back out. But if you've got, you know, 10 um, even up to 14 properties that you view before you buy a deal, um, then all these properties can be packaged up and sold to others. Now, you can't, you know, you couldn't immediately go off and do that on the high street without know knowing anything. I have to make these caveats because people take things sometimes a bit literally. But but Mark and I have been up and down Estate Agents Row for like 18 months, bought 20 our first, in our first year, 30 in our second year. So, you know, we were like doing it all day, every day. We've got all these relationships with these agents. Mark and I would take all the young estate agents out into town. We'd get them pissed. Mark would get them in his M3 and, you know, drive them all around the place at ridiculous speeds, getting them all excited. And we had really good relationships with quite a few agents. So we said to them, well, look, you know, we're getting all these people that want to do deals with us. Can we just, you know, um, sort of assign the deal onto someone else? And they're like, yeah, of course, because they had the trust with us. So we built a deal packaging business and we built quite a big deal packaging business. We've packaged hundreds of deals. Um, we, we, we wound that down um, probably about three years ago just because we're buying big projects now. You know, you can't do everything. I'd rather buy deals for myself. But it was a great business for a long time and re really helped us grow. So that sort of, um, you know, at some point manifested itself. Um, then I guess, and the timeline might be a bit scatty here. Um, I'm just sort of saying it off the top of my head, really. So, um it was Camilla who asked um, for this kind of journey and, and how did we grow in Progressive? And I know I'm telling you how we grew in Progressive because you asked me, but of course there's a modern story to this. So I'd say the main things that got us growing were the networking events, speaking on the stage was big, writing the book was big, um, setting up a training business was big, deal packaging was big. Um, did I say Google AdWords? Um, building our sort of, you know, general contacts database was big. Then Facebook became big. Now, of course, the modern way is to join many Facebook groups, is to set up your own Facebook page, is to really focus on your LinkedIn because that's getting huge reach beyond your initial contacts at the moment um, and build an online presence. And that really didn't kick in for Mark and I probably until 
I don't know, YouTube probably 2008 and 9, 10. I mean, we filled the Property Super Conference in 2010 from, you know, a lot of our YouTube videos and emails to our database. And that was what, 600 plus people? I can't remember exactly, but it was a big one. The biggest one we'd ever done by a mile. Um, but then as it sort of, as more and more people got into email marketing and there was a lot more competition for that, um, social media became prevalent. And so we started building Facebook groups. We started joining other people's Facebook groups and putting a lot of content in there and started doing this content marketing thing. Now, content marketing 10 years ago was send one email a week in an eight-week series, and that's great content and that's enough. And then after that, people will buy your stuff. Content marketing now is doing a live feed video, a podcast, which I'm simultaneously recording. So this will be on The Disruptive Entrepreneur if you're watching. Um, and then going and replying to other people's comments. And this is on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and LinkedIn and, um, you know, all, all these media platforms that there are out, out there. And it's a decentralized media landscape now. And in many ways, it's more overwhelming because there's way more assets that you've got to manage. Mark and I only were really managing our um, physical presence of how we um, handle ourselves, you know, our own personal brand, and then building the email database. But, um, but the downside of that is there's much less reach and there's much less opportunity and it costs. You don't have to pay £2 or £5 or £10 a lead on Facebook. You can join other people's groups, post content, they can find you, they can find your page and like you and follow you through this trickle-down effect and you can build your community, your database, your followings for... Um, and you can build that in a significant way for low cost or, or for free. Um, fast forward a bit later, like more modern, like in the last... Um, Four years, obviously, I launched my podcast, which went really big. It's got 192 different countries of people who subscribe and follow. It's millions and millions of downloads. Normally set, normally gets, on average, about 200,000 downloads a month, sometimes a lot more. So that's obviously given me reach into other countries. Uh, this year, we're launching events um, more globally. Going back a few years, we set up our own networking events called Progressive Property Network. So we set up a, a, a small franchise and We've got, we had up to 30, we've got 21 franchises of local property meets all over the country. So we're going to give this personal networking-y feel. We started doing more and more events as our events got popular. We do 800 events a year now. So that's obviously got really big. And we'll be, like I said, we'll be going global. I've written a lot more books after that first one. After that, so I'm not writing a book ever again. I've written another 13 since then. And I write in my own brand now because I used to write my, uh, from, you know, Rob Moore and Mark Homer. Now I write my own brand and have these sort of you know, global publishing deals. Um, so when did it start to kick in was one of the questions from Camilla. And I would say um, for Mark and I, I would say sort of six to nine months in, we started to feel like there was a bit of traction. You know, we'd completed on a few deals. Uh, some months rent were coming in. It wasn't amazing, but it was happening. After the first year, we were able to look back and go, do you know what? We have got some results. Of course, Mark and I, every time we got to the end of a year, we were only looking at bigger years and bigger years. I remember Mark had a dream to have an M3 and I had a dream to have a Nissan 350Z and we bought a pair of them. Uh, and then Mark had a dream to buy the um, Lamborghini Gallardo and me the Ferrari 430. So we bought them. And now, of course, we have the Aventador. And, um, you know, it, it, Mark and I are like, we're not really that good at going how well we did. We're always looking forward, 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 forward. And in a lot of ways, we haven't grown up since we were like 25 years old doing it back then. Um, so I'd say a year in, we, were, we felt like we're making some progress here. Two years in, and we actually had a bit of a foothold. And I think the recession helped, um, ironically. Um, the recession kicked in and a lot of people struggled and a lot of big companies went bust. And I got to know a lot of the owners of a lot of these big companies very well because Mark and I was hot on our competition and trying to befriend them and trying to get mentored by people who've been doing it a lot longer. That was a really big part of our journey. 
So bigger players in the, in the industry back then, a lot of them, we'd kind of got as sort of unofficial mentors of ours. So when they all kind of went bust when the recession hit because they had massive overhead and we were really lean, we were just kind of left standing. But, we, you know, but that was great. So by default, we were the big guys now. Of course, marketing, I really took on a love affair and um, become a, a student my whole life of marketing. Um, and I, I don't mind taking a bit of a risk. I don't mind putting myself out there. I had to learn it. I wasn't comfortable with it, but I, I taught myself that. Um, so we were prepared to, you know, be a bit noisy, if you like, um, disruptive in our marketing. Uh, a lot of people are modelling us now. But back then, everyone was just in a grey suit with a white shirt. The trousers were too short. Um, you know, it was like probably a Marks and Spencer suit. Nothing wrong with that. But everyone looked the same. Everyone spoke the same. They were just dry, boring, corporate, bland networking events with a few volavons. Um, you know, cheap wine. And then Mark and I come in and we're young, rowdy, stripy shirts, creative finance, doing JVs, none of our own money in deals, no money down deals. And, you know, like we, we, that really helped being unique and disruptive. To a certain degree, we've lost a little bit of that as we've grown bigger and more mature. And there's other people that are coming and taking that space now. We have to tap back into some of that. Uh, so then... When did we become the UK's largest property training company? Because this was something that was important to me. Um, and it wasn't just an ego thing. It was a, a reach thing. It was a market share thing. And I reckon it was about four years ago, maybe five, when we usurped then the, the, the largest training company we, in terms of turnover. Um, I'm not even talking about community because our community is by far the, the, you know, the most vast and, and deep reaching in property in the UK. Um, so that was probably five or six years in where we went from zero to being the biggest players in the market. Then we branched out um, into business courses, personal development courses. And because when we had a model of training and we built a community, um, you know, we, real we realized actually people want personal development. They want mindset. They want to learn how to set up a business. They want to learn how to do social media. Now they want to learn podcasting. Now they want a social media agency. Now they want a podcast agency. They want to learn how to do public speaking. They want to learn Amazon e-commerce and arbitrage. So Progressive are now, we're just going through a, a brand merge, actually, where Progressive Property and Unlimited Success will merge into just the Progressive brand. We have Progressive Property, Progressive Let's, Progressive Success, Progressive Media, Progressive Publishing, and we have Progressive Developments. So we have quite a lot of companies now, Progressive Developments that does mark and all minor marks, hundreds of properties that we've got. Progressive Let's, our agency has 850 Let's. Um, progressive um, Media is our podcast agency and our social media agency. Progressive Publishing is our books, audio books, um, you know, and all of our online publishing material. We do this for clients now as well as ourselves. This has been a new innovation in the last two, three years is being an agency for social media, for podcasts, because this is a need that people have. Um, if we get really good at YouTube, we could become an agency in that, but I'm not going to put the cart before the horse in that regard. I need to up my game on that. Um, yeah, so I'm sure there's more to it. I'm sure I've given you the radio edit. But Camilla asked that and um, th that would have been a long voice memo. What's this? 23 minutes. Um, but some things that um, maybe I can summarise are, you know, one, it takes time to build a brand, but it doesn't take a lifetime. Uh, and certainly the longer you're doing it, the more compounded momentum you get. So stick at it. Don't give up. You have to work hard enough not to have to work hard, but you do get back what you put in. I think that you want to change with the markets and be like water. You know, water follows the furrows, doesn't it? If you imagine water um, being poured down like um, a, a sort of a dry stream with all cracks in it, it's just going to make its own trail and follow 
um, its own journey. It's quite organic. It's liquid. And I think that you need to be a bit adaptive and liquid in, in business. If Mark and I have been so set, then all we'd have done is buy to let, buy to let, buy to let, buy to let, let's buy, buy to let, lots of buy to lets. We wouldn't have done service accommodation, deal packaging, commercial conversions. We wouldn't have done creative finance, joint ventures, no money down. We wouldn't have had courses, books, property books, personal development books, mindset books, money books. Um, you know, we wouldn't have had um, business courses, personal development courses. We wouldn't have had podcasts. We wouldn't have had agencies. I've probably forgotten. So we wouldn't have had a letting agency. We wouldn't have the digital media agency had we been so set in our way. So, you know, when they say be clear on your vision, yes, but you've also got to be somewhat reacting to the market and the demand. Um, the third thing is Mark and I just have a love for business. It's a, pa- it's a massive passion. I don't really have any friends. I don't need your sympathy, by the way. But if you want to give me a little teary eyed face um, or give me a little thumbs up or something, I'm OK with that. Um, but I, I choose it. Um, I, you know, like I've got a handful of mates from, that I've had from school. But other than that, all my friends are, uh, are in business and they're in property. And this is what I want to talk about all day, every day. I mean, this is what I'm nearly 20 past seven. I'm about to pop out for dinner. This is what I'd like to do in, evening, in an evening, talk to you about these kind of things, because this is my passion and I love it. And you find you can turn your passion into your profession if you stick at it and, you know, you show that passion to the world and you dance with the challenges. I think the fourth thing I would say is you've got to grow through the challenges. You're going to get trolls and critics. You're going to have things go wrong. You're going to have deals go wrong. You're going to do things because you're naive and you make mistakes. You're going to have good intentions, but things are going to go wrong. You're going to have some force majeure. You're going to just have some blindsided things that you could never um, predict. But if you keep going and you keep learning and you stay humble and you try and fix problems and you care for people and you build a community and you care for them and, you know, you try and fix their problems as well as your own. If you keep going in the end, you build such a vast brand and such deep reach. You have all these incoming connections. And rather than your sales and marketing having to be so outbound and pushy, it's, it's much more inbound and magnetic and attractive. So thanks for tuning in. A copy of this will be on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Um, so if you're watching and you're not subscribed, just find Disruptive Entrepreneur on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Um, I've got to go out for dinner. Um, second live in an evening in a row. There's definitely something up with me. I never do um, content in an evening. But um, Camilla, no problem. Um, thank you for asking the question. I hope you found the answer useful. Um, and um, yeah, did I say if you don't risk anything, you risk everything? If I didn't, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.